Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. And so when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and to restore our kingdom? And he replied, The Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud where they were watching and they could no longer see him. probably wondering, I've got my podium down here today. I tweaked my back this morning, and you all know how much I love to go up and down these stairs. And so I knew that if I uh, attempted that one too many times, I might be on the floor. So we're just going to start on the floor and stay on the floor. (laughs) Um, Would you stand with me this morning? We are um, in the middle of this series that we're actually combining two different ones. We have been learning about the Holy Spirit, and we've looked over the last few weeks at the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit is our comforter and how he is God. And what we're seeing today as we move into our Kingdom Builders weekends is how the Holy Spirit the point for which Jesus baptizes and the point that scripture tells us says you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. How many of you know this world still desperately needs Jesus? And God has equipped and uniquely commissioned each and every one of us to make a lasting kingdom impact. And so today, as we center our thoughts on that, we're looking at Acts chapter 1, and we're going to see this seismic shift that takes place in history and how we are called to be a part of what happened on that day. So would you join with me in prayer today. Father, we come before you, and Lord, we ask that your presence would rest in this room. We ask that you would speak to us through your word. God, that you would grab hold of our hearts, that they would beat for what your heart beats for. That God, our heart would literally go a little bit quicker whenever we think about a world that doesn't know you and what you have called us to be a part of that. And so today we ask, would you take our lives and you use it for the sake of your great name? We pray. Amen. I want to start this morning by just talking about seismic shifts throughout history. Or, or as other people like to call them, turning points. Every person in this room, there are certain things about your own life where there was a turning point, wasn't there? Where your entire perspective of the world shifted because of something that had happened right? Throughout our life, there's multiple different turning points. Like there's like, I remember for me, like the first time I learned to ride a bike, that opened up a whole new game, right? Uh, Or maybe the first time that you seriously injured yourself and you're like, oh wait, I'm human. (laughs) I remember for me, I think it was uh, the first time I actually, one of the ones was the first time I ever blew out my back in my mid twenties because I thought I was invincible. You know what I mean? And then suddenly you're like, I am not. (laughs) Right, and, and I think through these, the, our world has seen many as well moments that have completely altered and shaped the course of history. I think of, like for instance, the assassination of Archduke Ferdinand, which set off an entire world war. One event that had massive implications all across the board, or maybe the election or the assassination of Abraham Lincoln, completely changed. The, the world, or the Declaration of Independence, or the Gutenberg printing press, making printing available. All of these were seismic shifts in history where after this moment, things weren't the same as they were before. What about for some of us closer to home? 
Remember whenever uh, the internet was first coming out? The dial-up modems, right? Or the very first smartphones. It completely altered and changed everything. But I think, honestly, in my personal opinion, if you were to look throughout the course of history, and if you were to try to pinpoint one of the greatest seismic shifts, it would be the day of Pentecost. We find this in Acts chapter 17. This is much time after that day. And it says this, is, but the Jews who are not persuaded, becoming envious, they took some of the evil men from the marketplace and gathering a mob, they set all the city in an uproar and they attacked the house of Jason. And they sought to bring out the people. But when they did find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, listen to these words. These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. I love that. Can you imagine as being known as one of those who turned the world upside down? Flipped it on its head. That was the story of the New Testament church. That empowered by the Holy Spirit, they were going out and they were being faithful witnesses everywhere that he had called them to. And as they lived out that life, they were flipping the world upside down. And I don't know about you, but I would take a look at our culture and I would take a look at our country today and I would say, something needs to be flipped upside down. We look across the scene, we look across the fact that over 500,000 kids are being fed every day. The world needs to be turned upside down. To understand that statement, though, we need to understand the growth of the church, and so we have to first remind, rewind ourselves. And what we see is this, is the disciples actually almost missed the point. The kids are having an absolute blast, by the way. <laughs> I don't know what's going on over there, but they're having a lot more fun than <laughs> we are. I want to talk about missing the point. Listen, this is how Acts chapter 1 opens. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, has, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? This is a, a beautiful day for them. Jesus has risen from the dead. They see he's in their presence. They see him doing all kinds of crazy cool stuff like walking through walls, right? They, they're, they're, their mind is literally blown. And they're like, are you coming back? Are you going to be our king? Are we going to overthrow Rome? Are we going to finally be like in power? And Jesus is like, you are missing the whole point of all of this. It's a classic case of missing the point. Their focus was off. They were still set on worldly things, political freedom from slavery, a focus on their own influential power as loyal subjects in his kingdom. They wanted his earthly kingdom to be established so that they could be seen as like princes and generals and rulers. I want you to catch this. For the seismic shift to happen, their focus had to be shifted. And Jesus shifts it from power to be an authority to power to be a witness. If you look at what our world longs for and how it uses power, it craves, it desires, it grabs, it fights tooth, nail, and claw. I want power. I want to be an authority. Remember, Jesus is the king that flips the kingdom upside down. I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. This power that is given through the power of the Holy Spirit wasn't power to be like, hey, look at me, look at the authority they have, but to go, look, it's power to be a witness, to take this gospel everywhere. 
When we think about this, seismic shifts, they really do require incredible power. You think about massive power. I think of like a tidal wave or an atomic bomb, hurricanes, tornadoes, right? Um, to make that seismic shift happen, there, there's a lot of power that goes into that and that makes it required. But I want you to see something. This power that Jesus talks about that turns the world upside down, it's not a power that we conjure up from within ourselves. It's not like, oh, if I can just refine Josh Johnson and just be better 2.0 Josh Johnson, then suddenly I'll have this power. <laughs> Some of you are like, I know you. You're going to need like 18.0, <laughs> right? No, like we, we, this power, I want us to really focus on the location of it. It's on a reliance on someone, not ourselves. It's a reliance on the Holy Spirit. There's a story that's told of uh, a father and son and they're walking through the woods. And his son is probably about 10 or 12, and they come across this massive log. And his, the father looks at his son, and he's like, son, we need to get this log out of the way because there's lots of people that come through this trail, and they're, they really need to have access to this. So um, can you move it? And so his son walks over, and he starts trying to, you know, he's trying to lift it, and he's giving it everything he's got. The sweat's just pouring down, and he's sitting there, and his dad's like, I, I know you can do it. I know you can do it. And the son's going, Dad, I'm trying. I'm trying with all the might that I have, and I cannot move it. And his dad looks at him, and he says, son, you're not trying with all the might that you have because you haven't asked me for help. He says, I'm in your presence. If you will but just ask my strength, and instantly the father who's much bigger walks over and just launches this log out of the way. Can I tell you something? That's a perfect illustration of the church and God. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. We need God's presence. Listen to me. It can't come from our strategies. It can't come from our best abilities. It can't come from our decisions and our designs. All those things are good. But apart from him, we can do nothing. And so if we're going to see this, we need to understand that the shift that we're, we're talking about, we're praying for, the shift we've been praying for in Hartford City, that lives would be changed and that stories would be altered. Listen to me, it's going to take and require incredible power, but it cannot originate from us. It must originate from him. And what changed them on that day was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Let me give you two quick proofs of this. The Apostle Peter and the Apostle Paul. You rewind the tape, right? You remember back in the days of Blockbuster and you'd pop in the VHS and you'd actually have to hit the rewind button? <laughs> you rewind the tape and what you get is just moments or hours before the death of Jesus on the cross, there's people like Peter who are coming up to him going, I will never deny you. I will, if, if it means it costs me my life, I will be by your side. You have nothing to worry about. We're taking on the world. We've got this team, Jesus. Right? And then like a couple hours later, he's like, I don't know him. What? Who? Jesus who? Who are you talking about? What? Right? He goes from instantaneous, I will follow you to the end, to my last breath, to denying him three times over a charcoal fire. Now, let's not be too hard on Peter because Peter beats in our heart. Peter, in his own power, realized I'm a coward. I'll flake out in a moment's notice. Not once, not twice, 
but three times. The Apostle Paul. What a story there. He held the coats with a smile on his face and joy beating in his heart as he watched God's servants have stones thrown at their face till they quit breathing. Like when you watch a testimony video, it doesn't usually start that way. <laughs> I murdered Christians and liked it. That's the opening of the Apostle Peter's story. That's where we find the Apostle Peter, I'm sorry, the Apostle Paul, those two individuals denying and trying to destroy the church. But what I love about this is what you see as you rewind the tape, you see Jesus come and he restores Peter over a charcoal fire. Three times he asks him, he says, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And do, you, do you remember what he says? He says, do you love me? And Peter goes, yes, Lord, I love you. And he says, feed my sheep. He says, let your love be put into action. Be a part of what I'm calling you to. And then so the day of Pentecost comes. The guy who just not that long ago, just within the last 50 days, was like, I'm out of here. Forget this. I, I don't even want to act like I know him. Stands up on the day of Pentecost, preaches a message to those who are present, and 3,000 come into the kingdom that day. How do you go from denier to preacher to 3,000? The answer is the power of the Holy Spirit. And we need that. The apostle Peter, persecutor, bloodthirsty, Jesus hater, his sole mission and purpose is to destroy the church, to imprison all who follow after the way. And yet Christ meets him, pours out his spirit, and enemy number one becomes missionary number one. And he's like, wherever you want, whatever you want to do, wherever you want to take me, God, use me in any way possible. And man, did God do that. He saw things that we can't even possibly imagine. See, the truth is this, the Holy Spirit was poured out because they needed power for boldness, for wisdom, for opportunity, for effectiveness, for refining in themselves the heart that was meant to reflect the heart of God. Can I tell you something? In each and every one of us, my prayer for us as a church is that our heart would reflect the heart of God. What that power did was it created a seismic shift in a small group of people that it filled and said, go. Make an impact. The shift was in their perspective. It changed their perspective towards the loss and even the mission of God. I love it. Like Peter, uh, he meets Cornelius and he sees this entire Gentile household get saved and then filled with the spirit. And he goes, okay. I guess this is what God's up to. And he comes back and he returns and he's like, God has given them the privilege of repentance, right? He's changed his entire perspective on the people that he sees that are lost. It shifted their responsibility, their responsibility towards their role and their purpose, and it shifted their action. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit always calls those who claim the name of Christian to action. We are empowered we are sent, we are commanded to go, and we are commanded to be a witness. The purpose for the power that was given was witnessing. And he replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times. And they're not for you to know. I love this because verse 18 is like one of those beautiful seismic shifts. It's almost like Jesus is like, just forget that. <laughs> now listen closely. But you will receive power. 
when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I want you to notice what it is not given for primarily. The Holy Spirit was not poured out to be some trinket, not some a sharpened tool for personal development, not for gaining credibility. Remember Simon the sorcerer, he tried to buy it and they're like, "Mm, no, thank you. Not for gaining a following. Listen to me, the Holy Spirit does some of those things. It shapes us from the inside out, but its purpose was for us to be a witness, to empower us and to empower the church so that you and I will be witnesses, taking Jesus with us everywhere that we go. Not an occasional witness. Listen to this. This is from John Piper. Jesus is not talking here of an occasional word of witness in our same circle of culture. He's talking about an ever-expanding effort to penetrate more and more of Satan's strongholds of unbelief. That's why I say special power is essential for an expanding witness of Christ. It's not a that one time seven years ago. No, it's for the every day I'm going to be a witness where I go. The great command and the great commission, they are accomplished only through the Holy Spirit. The great command, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The great commission, go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Both can only be accomplished by the Spirit's active role at work in our lives. I don't know if you know this, but you and I, we need him every day. We need him to bring people across our path, to give us the right words at the right time, to to see that person that's hurting, to, to have his Spirit so alive in us that our heart beats for the very thing that the heart of God beats for. If we're gonna accomplish the great command and the great commission, we need to be people who are moved by his heart. I want you to think about then and now. Then, in the book of Acts, the opening of the early church, listen to this. It says, they relied on the power of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit empowered them and encouraged them. He comforted them and he sent them. I'm going to read you a bunch of different verses. If you're a note taker, feel free to write some of these down. Acts 4.8. Then Peter, filled with the Spirit, spoke to the rulers of the people and they saw the boldness which he spoke. Acts 4.31. And when they prayed, the place in which they gathered was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Acts 6, 5 and 10, Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and the Jews could not withstand the wisdom with which he spoke. Acts seven fifty five, Stephen filled with the Spirit, gazed into heaven. He saw the glory of God and Jesus standing in the right hand of God. Acts eleven twenty four, Barnabas was full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a large company was added to the Lord. And then Acts 13, 9, Paul. Filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at Emmaus, and he said, I love this. Everywhere in the New Testament, as you continue to see them full of the Holy Spirit, you see power and boldness coming out of them to be witnesses. One of my favorite stories is like they have just gotten out of like a, a close shave, right? They are barely out of prison. They get back to the house. Most of us would be like, it's time to hide. They come back and they're like, hey, pray that we would have more boldness to take this gospel everywhere. I recently read an article. It was titled this, Staying on Mission, a lesson from the Pentecostal charismatic movement. I'm going to read to you some of it today because I think it's incredibly profound. 
The author writes this. He says, how do we explain the unprecedented, massive, worldwide growth of the Pentecostal charismatic church? And what can all Christians learn from this worldwide phenomenon? Worldwide, the number of Christians has doubled in just 40 years. From 1.1 billion in 1970 to 2.2 billion in 2010. In Africa, it was estimated that Christians exceeded Muslims for the first time ever in 1985. And Christians are now almost the majority. A phenomenon so epoch-making that Lamin Sana described it as a continental shift of historic proportions. There are now over four times as many Christians in Africa as there were in 1970, and almost the same is true to be starting to happen in Asia. What is the driving force behind this incredible, extraordinary growth? It's the Pentecostal charismatic movement. As Anderson writes, Pentecostalism has experienced amazing growth from its humble beginnings with a handful of people at the beginning of the 20th century to some half a billion adherents by the end in just 100 years. From zero to half a billion. That's a seismic shift in history. He says there are many reasons, but perhaps the most important is that it is fundamentally an ends-of-the-earth missionary, polycentric, transnational religion. The experience of the Spirit and belief in world evangelism are hallmarks of Pentecostalism. And Pentecostals believe that they are called to be witnesses for Jesus Christ to the farthest reaches of the globe. He says, again, um, Pentecostalism is above all a missionary movement, and thus the Pentecostal emphasis on receiving the power of the Spirit, it's not just a mythical or mystical experience. Instead, it is the belief that this power that they receive through the Spirit is meant to evangelize all the nations for the glory of Jesus Christ. Can I tell you something? That's what we need a heartbeat that goes for the glory of Jesus Christ to the ends of this earth. I, I said this last year in our Kingdom Builders. Um, I don't have the picture up this time because it just came to me. <laughs> One of the most profound moments of my entire life came. Um, I was visiting Washington, D.C. Uh, I'd heard about this place called the Museum of the Bible. And as a theology nerd and as a pastor, I was like, ooh, I can't wait to go, right? <laughs> So I, I planned a trip. My whole family was supposed to go with me, and at the last second, like, everyone bailed, and I'm like, I'm still going, even if it's by myself. I'm going. So I went to D.C., and I actually it worked out to my favor because, like, there was no one, like, like rushing me. I could go. But have you ever, you know, we talk about those seismic shifts, those moments that, like, something snaps inside you. For me, it was, um, it was towards the very end. I was on this one floor, walk into this room, and it's just massively full of books, and all the books are color-coordinated. And the, the books are, every single one of them is a language somewhere on this earth. And the color of the book lets you know they either have the entire Bible, they have just the New Testament, they have just a few verses, or they have absolutely nothing. And the color for absolutely nothing was yellow. And I remember walking into that room, and I'm, I started, you know, I'm looking at this. It's almost shaped like a football. So this whole half of the room is just, you know, browns and all these, the, these people have access to the gospel. But then I looked at the right-hand side, and almost the entire wall, we're talking thousands of languages, all in yellow. They don't even have a single verse translated into their language, and my heart just broke. 
I remember standing there, and I just walked up, and I just started reading language after language after language as it said on me. At any moment in time, any one of us, we can walk to a place in our room and pick up a Bible. <laughs> you can pull out your smartphone and pull it up. And so many of these, they don't have even access to a single verse. That's the very heartbeat that began with the Assemblies of God World Missions. In 1914, the Assemblies of God was formed following a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Early Assemblies of God leaders, they had an immediate concern for the loss that compelled them to take the gospel into all the world. I want you to think about this for a second. Just put this in your brain. Ready? Watch this. Say with me, 1914. 1914. Okay. Assemblies of God. Was, was essentially founded, okay? Since 1914, 1,857 career missionaries, 783 missionary advocates, 2,640 total missionaries, 252 countries served, 69.2 million adherents. Let me say that again. 69.2 million people since 1914. How does that happen? Because the Holy Spirit birthed inside. Look, look we, we believe that we're supposed to be called to the ends of the earth, not just, listen, you, you, know, you know your pastor. I preach like crazy. We need to change Blackford County. We need to be a part of Harford City. We want this city to know that we love them. We, every time the name Glad Tidings is ever mentioned, I hope the next word that comes out of their mouth is that's a church that loves people. That's what I always, but can I tell you something? Listen, if we're going to be that, we also have to have a heart for the ends of the world. That the name of Jesus would be taken there. 69.2, there's 367,000 churches across this world. There are assemblies of God. I love this stat. Because of assemblies of God world missions, every 54 seconds, a new believer is added to the church. Isn't that cool? Every 54 seconds. You've been stuck listening to me for about 30 minutes. That means 30 people across the world have come to the kingdom because of Assemblies of God. I love that. Listen to me. Here's another one. Every 81 seconds, the church is planted. So the question is this, though. I often get asked, and we're going to sh show two quick videos here in just a second. We'll start the first one, and I'll talk a little bit. But this first video is from one of our missionaries, um, Kevin and Wendy Beery. And they're going to tell you just a little bit about how our Assemblies of God World missionaries end up on the field. Hello, we're Kevin and Wendy Beery. We've been missionaries with the Assemblies of God now for over 20 years. The Assemblies of God has been sending missionaries to the fields all over the world for over 100 years. And they've been able to find a way to understand how much money a missionary needs to go to the field. First of all, there's the cash budget. The cash budget is for one-time expenses, like your plane tickets, language school, housing deposits, those things that you only need when you get right to the field. Then there's the pledge budget. The pledge budget is very critical. This is for ongoing expenses while you're on the field. Again, that includes housing, it includes ministry expenses, insurance, all the things that a missionary would need to be able to stay on the field long-term. The Assemblies of God World Mission is known as a faith mission, and what that means is when someone receives a call and goes through the approval process to become a missionary, 
There is no pot of money waiting at the end, like there is in some denominations. The approval process means then that the missionary candidate is allowed to contact churches in their state to ask the pastors to support the call that they've received. Most missionaries do not know all of the pastors in their states, so they make an effort to be in contact with them. This is done through newsletters, through Facebook Messenger, phone calls, all sorts of things, any way that we can reach and be in contact with the pastor. Now, one of the things that happens is that for every 10 contacts, only one pastor usually responds, so it takes a lot of persistence to get in touch with people. In our experience, it takes between three and four churches that I visit to get a pledge for our missions ministry. What that means is that you need to visit hundreds, literally hundreds of churches to get the number of pledges that you need to go to the field. Most missionary budgets are more than $7,000 a month, and with the average pledge being $50 a month, that means you need 140 pledges to make your budget work. Now, Thankfully, some churches will give us more than the $50, and some individuals will pledge us as well. All these things are tremendously helpful to missionaries. The pressure that missionaries feel is because they are given a time frame in which to raise their budgets. And what that means is that missionaries are given 18 months to raise the money that they need to live and work overseas. The difficulty is that it sometimes takes longer than that, and if a missionary goes through the 18 months and then uses any extension that he or she may have received and doesn't raise their monies in that period of time, then the Assemblies of God World Mission concludes that it's not the right time for them to go to the field and their missionary approval is withdrawn. I would say that Assemblies of God missionaries are envied by other missionaries from other denominations on the field because of the tremendous amount of support that we receive from our mission. For example, we benefit from Speed the Light funds, which is where the youth in our churches raise monies to cover the costs of vehicles for the missionaries. And there have been Speed the Light vans, Speed the Light cars, Speed the Light motorcycles, bicycles, boats, even camels. And all of that is thanks to the youth, a sacrifice greatly so that we can have these modes of transportation. We are so grateful for the various resources that come to us. Some of them come from the children of our churches, and that's called BGMC. We love these funds because they're very flexible. So we can just take them right from the field and be able to use it for disaster relief, evangelism, pastoral training, really is amazing all that we can use those funds for. We're also thankful because women's and men's ministries also take funds and give them to us. So it's wonderful to see how the churches work together so that we can have the support and resources that we need. As you can see, raising a missionary budget is really a faith-filled adventure, but we have seen God come through over and over again, and we just appreciate so much any way that you can help us so that we can reach the field to which God has called us. We pray that God blesses you as we work together. Amen. You know, whenever there's two different ways in which we go. Every day, each one of us, we are called to be a witness in our sphere of influence. But we're also all called, not just some, to go to the ends of the earth. And there's two different ways. It's either you go physically or you help send those who go. And as a church, that's one of the things that we do. We help send those. There, there's people, um, if you look at the screen right now, the, 
I'll actually have you flow up one more slide. Um, this is our goal for this next year for Kingdom Builders. We're looking to raise $24,000 above the tithe um, for this. So it goes from missionary support, um, but it also goes to help, and we'll talk about this next week because we're talking primarily about missions today, but also some of these funds are used for planting churches, and some of them are for even accomplishing missions projects. And we're going to see in just a little bit a video of one of those projects from which we did last year. Um, we did two different ones this last year where we did uh, Bibles for um, a missionary who's in Morocco who gives out Arabic Bibles. And then we did another one for pastors in training in Cuba that it's a whole Kindle with all their coursework from Global University so that they can learn it and then be able to get to the field. But this is what we're looking to raise. So I wanted to put this in front of you because I want you to be praying over these next three weeks saying, okay, God, I want to be a kingdom builder. What part can I do as part of the generous part of my heart, what you have blessed me to be a part of what this church is doing across this world. Uh, we've got some really cool projects coming up. Uh, if you have on your way out today, if you want to pick up one of these, this is our 2023 Kingdom Builders Guide. Um, it'll detail all the different things that's going on, um, the different commitments that we're looking at making. You just flip to the Hartford City campus, and it's got a breakdown of all the different things. This is for years. We would ask if you just take, like, one per family. Um, but take this with you. Be praying about it because we're going to do a, a faith promise pledge in just about two weeks and just asking God, Lord, as a church, what can we do to continue to be a part of building your kingdom with them? These next three weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to plan as a church, we're going to pray that through the power of the Holy Spirit and the giving of God's people that we could be a part of what he's doing. That, you know, there's many missionaries that we support right now that they're able to be on the field because of the faithful giving of this people. But not only that, but just even some of the projects and planting churches. Um, you guys remember Pastor Dan who came through here. We're going to talk about this next week. Um, we're not just passionate about just missions, but also passionate about planting churches. And that's part of Kingdom Builders as well, where we're, we're, we are receiving of many funds that we're able to sit here today in the chair that you're in because of the faithful giving of God's people. And so I just want to encourage you to be praying and saying, okay, God, what, what can I do? What are you calling me? What are you placing upon my heart to make a difference here in Indiana and across this world? Next week, I, I really encourage you to come. We're going to look at what does it mean to be an Antioch church? We're going to look at the book of Acts, and we're going to see how key and integral that church was to the expanse of the kingdom. And what does that look like for us today? But would you stand with me this morning? Would you pray with me now as we bring this service to a close and just ask God to do some awesome things in our midst and through us as um, these next three weeks in Kingdom Builders. Father, Lord, I so love every person in this room. God, you have placed big dreams and visions on our hearts to be a part of what your Holy Spirit is doing across this world. God, that we would be a part of seeing lives be touched and stories be forever changed, not just in Hartford City, but Lord, in Africa, in Asia, Lord, in the Arab world, and all these different places where your spirit is at work drawing the hearts of your sons and daughters to you. God, I pray, would our heart beat for you? Would our heart beat for you like that first century church that says, God, we need your Holy Spirit. Lord, we want our heart to be known as being a people that's so in love with you that we are, we're taking this message to the ends of the earth. 
And so, Lord, we pray that over these next few weeks that you would just stir in our hearts, God, a passion for your great name and for what you can and long to do. We give you thanks. We give you honor. We give you praise in your son's mighty and great name.